Welcome to The Rock Church, a vibrant, enthusiastic, edgy church meeting in West Bridgeford, Nottingham. You can find out more about us by visiting the-rock.org.uk. We hope you were blessed by this message. Okay, right, Kate is bursting. Three, three, not, not, not for the toilet or anything like that, spiritually bursting. Uh, three months without the microphone, uh, so I'm not going to waffle anymore because we just need to get up. She said, oh, I need as much time as I can get, as much time as I can get. So come on, come on. Seriously, seriously, have you missed us? Right, cheer if you've missed Kate. I'm not going to do the next bit. Oh, it's good to be back. Lovely to see all your fantastic faces. Lynn, glad you got the memo about the khaki. Makes me feel good, got the same colour on. Just allow me 30 seconds before I actually crack on with what I feel God's put on my heart. I just want to say thank you to everybody for allowing us the privilege. She's crying already. I've only been up here 30 seconds. <laughs> Sorry, I haven't got time to cry. Thank you for the privilege of allowing us to have a sabbatical. It's been amazing. Every day has been brilliant, and it's equally as amazing to come home to you guys. So, And your testament to that, so thank you. Thanks for having me. The, the other thing I think is important to say is it's always good to give people credit, isn't it, where credit's due. It's always good to try and spot people doing good things and, and as they do it, thanking them for it. And it's also really good to thank people while they've still got the sweat on their brows. So to our eldership team and to our staff team, thank you. Can you stand up so people can see who you are? Thank you so much for everything that you have done. And to our trustees, thank you so much. They've been absolutely incredible. Heavenly Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you that we get the privilege of being in your presence. And Lord, whatever, whatever comes out of me this morning, I pray that it is you. And I pray that all the words that you give me have come from you and not from me. And anything that is of me, it can fall to the floor and, and produce nothing. But everything of you, God, we pray that it will produce a beautiful harvest in this place. And Lord, I pray that people will see revelation this morning. I pray that they will be convicted of stuff, not, not condemned. You don't do that. I pray they'll be convicted of some of the things that they might be doing or might not be doing, Lord. But that, but that it will bring revelation that brings transformation and that they will see a difference in their lives in a good way. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Have you ever had to do something that you really didn't want to do, but you knew it was the right thing to do? Yeah? So, as many of you all know, during our sabbatical, Ali stayed at home, but I went off to northern Ghana. Northern Ghana. Spent two weeks in Africa at the King's Village, which is a charity that we support, and it's phenomenal. What Ben and Marion have achieved over there, what they're doing is absolutely outstanding. I cannot give them enough credit for what they do. And I, I don't know, I've been in ministry many, many years, and I seem to have evaded having to go on a missions trip, which is not a good thing. 
And I don't know whether it was out of stubbornness, but you know how... I don't know if you watched England last night. I won't talk about England. But anyway, when you, if you support England, you're called patriotic, right? Well, I am what we would call... I've coined this phrase myself, Bridgefordotic, okay? Ali and I would say, if you cut us open, we would bleed Bridgeford. Bridgeford is my mission field. So I've been a little bit stubborn in thinking, I don't need to go to the far corners of the world to preach the gospel. I've got enough people to go at in Bridgeford. And it's lovely here, isn't it? It's lovely coffee shops to minister in, and it's cake, and it's not hot. And Well, it is sometimes. But I think it's important that every single one of us should do some kind of mission trip in our lifetime just to see how the other half live, just to experience a different culture, and actually to minister to people who may never have heard the gospel before. What an absolute privilege that was. But can you keep a secret? See, the truth is, never, ever, ever wanted to go to Ghana. And I never, ever want to go back. I remember getting down to Heathrow Airport to meet the team, stupid o'clock in the morning, no sleep. And everyone was excited, and I was like, yay! What am I doing? What am I doing here, God? I don't want to go. I don't want to do this. And it was really hard. But when God asks us to do something, we do it. It's the right thing to do, and we do it. And, and when God asks us to do something... It's always because he wants us to learn something or he's going to do something through us and he's going to use us to bless other people. You know, if, if our kids never did anything, we, if we never pushed them out of the nest, pushed them out of their comfort zones, they would never achieve anything. And we are God's kids. And sometimes he just wants to nudge us a little bit to get us to do something that we haven't done before. And so I determined in my heart, right, I'm going for it. I'm going with a good heart attitude. I'm ready for this. I've prepared myself mentally. And I said, God, I'm going to give you 100%. Actually, Sai, I said, I'm going to give you 110. 110%, because that's what Sai always says. But it was stupidly hot, like 36 degrees every day. I, Anyone who knows me, I love the sun, I love the heat. I haven't got a problem with the heat. But when it's 36 and then there's 75% humidity on top, it starts to get a bit nasty. You know? and, and, and when you leave the very limited aircon that you can find in northern Ghana and you step outside, you start to sweat. And ladies, I'm not talking about that, you know, the little perspirations where you just pat yourself down a little bit. I'm talking about sweating out of pores that you didn't even know you had. Literally, like it starts on the top of your head, it comes through your hair, it comes down here, it's coming down, it's down your back, down your legs. Literally, it is disgusting. You understand, Sophia, you understand. Hey, and by the way, I've got nothing against Ghana. All the Ghanaians, they're flipping brilliant. It's amazing, but I can't do it again. Just don't make me do it again. Just... I know, I know, and people keep saying, oh, and Ben and Marion are so excited about you coming with Ali next time because you've not been together. <laughs> well, not yet, anyway, not yet, Lord. Sybil, Sybil, I take my hat off to you as a missionary for decades. How did you cope with the heat? Maybe it's my time of life, I'm not sure, but I really struggled with it. But you know what? I did everything that God asked of me and a whole lot more. 
and, and we did achieve some incredible stuff. I got to spend time in the maternity unit. And if you know me, you'll know that if I wasn't a pastor, I would want to be a midwife. So top of my bucket list has always been to help deliver a baby. And I got to do that on day two. Unfortunately, I had another 12 days left, so I really peaked too soon in what I wanted to achieve. <laughs> I was ready to come home after day two because I'd done what I wanted to do. But anyway, we kept, we kept going. But I had some amazing opportunities to preach. I preached to the youth group. I preached to the women's ministry. I preached in a local church on the following Sunday. And my highlight was that I got to preach in Wuba, which was a neighboring village with an entirely Muslim populated um, people, just entirely Muslim population. And um, we showed the Jesus film, and then we would get up and, and share the gospel. And we showed this Jesus film with, I don't know what they plug it into, but, it, you know, they put a big screen up in this, in this village. And bear in mind, these are, these are mud huts, by the way, in these villages. Some of these mud huts have got sky. They've got sky dishes. Really weird. So we, we put the Jesus film on, and just as I'm about to get up and preach off the back of it, all the power went down. And it was pitch black, apart from the sky, which was the starriest night I've ever seen in my life. You've got to go over there to witness just the stars in the sky. And I preached my little heart out with sweat dripping down me in the pitch black, and seven young men gave their lives to Jesus. All glory to God. All glory to God. But you know, those seven men could literally change that village. It could change the lives of the entire village. So exciting. And when I got back, I was really blessed because I had a text from one of the pastors over there. And he said to me that they have followed up. There were 13 women the night before. And then seven guys the second night. And he said they followed up with every single one of them. And they're all meeting once a week. And they're learning the Bible. They've got Bibles. They're going through a discipleship program. So they're not just getting people saved. They're doing something with them. They're looking after them. And that's just such a blessing. So I poured my life out for God in Ghana. And he asks every single one of us in this room today to live a poured out life. And if you're taking notes, that is the title of the message and you know, nobody modeled the poured out life better than Jesus. The verse that says he was God, but he chose not to cling on to his equality with God. Instead, he chose to pour himself out in the form of a man as a servant, and he humbled himself even to death on a cross. Someone else in the Bible lived a poured out life. And you can open your Bibles with me if you have them, or you can follow on the screen. Because I'm going to read from two different accounts of the same story today. One's found in Mark 14 and the other in John 12. And they both concern the same incident. And this is the story of Mary breaking her alabaster box of perfume. And I want to read it from two different accounts because the gospel writers see things from different perspectives. And what one may have put in, somebody else has left out. So to get the true representation of the story, you, you need to read them both just to get the full picture. If, when we go out of this building today and somebody says, oh, what did Kate preach on? You're all going to bring completely different perspectives. So it's really important sometimes to just get into the word and study different passages. So Mark 14, 3 to 9. Now Jesus was in Bethany in the home of Simon, a man Jesus had healed of leprosy. And as he was reclining at the table, a woman came into the house with an alabaster flask filled with the highest quality of fragrant and expensive spikenard oil. 
She came to Jesus and with a gesture of extreme devotion, she broke the flask and poured out the precious oil over his head. But some were highly indignant when they saw this and they complained to one another saying, what an absolute waste. It could have been sold for a great sum and the money could have benefited the poor. And they scolded her harshly. Jesus said to them, leave her alone. Why are you so critical of this woman? She has honored me with this beautiful act of kindness. You will always have the poor whom you can help whenever you want, but you won't always have me. When she poured the fragrant oil over me, she was preparing my body in advance of my burial. She has done all that she could do to honor me. I promise you that as this wonderful gospel spreads all over the world, the story of her lavish devotion to me will be mentioned in memory of her. And then in John 12, 1 to 9, it says this. Six days before the Passover began, Jesus went back to Bethany, the town where he raised Lazarus from the dead. They prepared a supper for Jesus. Martha served and Lazarus and Mary were among those at the table. Mary picked up an alabaster jar filled with nearly a litre of extremely rare and costly perfume, the purest extract of nard, and she anointed Jesus' feet. Then she wiped them dry with her long hair and the fragrance of the costly oil filled the house. But Judas the locksmith, Simon's son, the betrayer, spoke up and said, what a waste. We could have sold this perfume for a fortune and given the money to the poor. In fact, Judas had no heart for the poor. He only said this because he was a thief and in charge of the money case. He would steal money wherever he wanted from the funds given to support Jesus' ministry. And Jesus said to Judas, you need to leave her alone. She saved this for the time of my burial. You will always have the poor with you, but you won't always have me. So just a bit of teaching and background before we get to the application of this story. It takes place just before Jesus' triumphal entry as he rides into Jerusalem on the back of the donkey on Palm Sunday, which is the week before Easter, the week before his death. Mark identifies the place as the house of Simon the leper, in Bethany. We don't really know anything about this guy other than the fact that he suffered from leprosy and Jesus had healed him. It's funny, isn't it, that we know him as Simon the leper, even though he was healed and he wasn't a leper. It's funny how sometimes, it's not in my notes, totally off script, sometimes we're called things, but they don't apply to us anymore. It's like when Jesus said, pick up your mat. Why would he tell somebody to pick up his mat when he'd been healed? You don't need the mat anymore. But actually, I think he wanted to do that as a reminder. It's like when, what was his name, whose hip was put out of socket? Elijah? No. Um, Jacob, when he had his hip, he, he, he had a limp for the rest of his life because of that. It's almost like a constant reminder of what God has done in our life. Mark doesn't mention the name of the woman, but John identifies her as Mary, the sister of Martha and Lazarus, who Jesus raised from the dead. And anyone who knows their Bible well enough will know that Mary is the same one who sat at Jesus' feet while her sister Martha was off in the kitchen just busy in herself and not sitting with Jesus. And even in this story, again, we see that Martha, she's still busy. She's still not sitting at Jesus' feet. She's still making a volavon so that he can sit there and enjoy himself. But Mary isn't. Mary's just with Jesus. And so here he is. He's the guest of honor at this gathering, and he sits and eats. And one account says, Mary enters the room with an alabaster box of perfume. Now, in Bible times, Alabaster boxes were made of like a rich marble type stone and then they would fill them with really expensive perfume and keep them, to keep them pure they would just seal it with a wax top to hold the scent in. 
And the perfume would be, would be poured out. You'd break the neck off the bottle and it would just be poured out and the scent would just envelop the entire room. And they called it spikenard or pure nard. Symbolises the very best in ancient culture. Comes from the honeysuckle plant in the Himalayas, so it had to be imported. And they would crush the stem down and it became this lovely amber kind of colour, like an aromatic essential oil. And it was used not just for perfume, but interestingly also for medicinal properties, which is probably why Mary used it. So her box of perfume was valued at 300 denarii, which in today's economy would be like a year's wages. So Mary broke, up in a, broke open a really expensive bottle of perfume. I think the most expensive bottle I've ever had would be Oud and Bergamot, Joe Malone's, like 120 quid. But for us, that's, that's just part of a monthly wage. But for her, it was her entire, it was her entire life, really. She, she, she just broke open what she had. It's probably all she owned. And she may have secreted it away thinking, you know, at one, some point I'm really going to need this. It's like when we sort of say, oh, I'm going to save for a rainy day. Yeah, but maybe that rainy day will never come and you've just got all this money in the bank and then you die. Well, what's the point? You know, why don't you give it? Just like Ali said earlier, why don't you just give it and see what God does? Now, someone once said that worship, which is not just singing, worship is a lifestyle. They said worship is the act of sacrificially giving to Jesus something that is precious to us. And it was King David who said, I will not sacrifice something that costs me nothing. Mary's sacrifice was a bottle of perfume. It was probably a dowry for a wedding. It was all she had. For me, my sacrifice was giving up two weeks of my sabbatical to go and sweat it out in Ghana. No fully running water. I never knew if the tap was going to come on. Sand, dust, dirt, mosquito nets, not being able to dry my hair or straighten my hair. That's a sacrifice. <laughs> Felt so sorry for the people who had to look at me. Power cuts. And for some of you, that wouldn't be a sacrifice at all, but Jesus knows what my sacrifices are. But when was the last time your act of worship actually cost you something? For some of you, it might have been today. It might have been so hard for you to worship God this morning just because of something that you're going through. But the majority of us can walk into this building and enjoy corporate worship together. But when was the last time your worship cost you something? It's quite a tough question when you actually sit and think about it. Now, back in Jesus' day, it was customary to wash the feet and anoint the head of a guest in your house. But Mary went even further than that. It says that she wiped his feet with her hair. I wanted to do something nice for the ladies in, in Ghana, something that they would always remember, something that would be a sacrifice for me. So I took one of my expensive bottles of perfume and I cracked it open and I wiped their feet. And some of them didn't have shoes on and their feet are dusty. And for anyone who knows me, I can't bear anything on my hands. I, can't, I don't do sand. <laughs> I've actually got a phobia to sand. That knee's breaking in the name of Jesus. But I can't bear dust and dirt on my hands, but I got down on my knees and I sprayed my perfume on every single pair of feet in that building. And then I left that bottle behind. A few days later, I was very hungry. This is a new term that I've coined, and it means homesick and hungry. I was very hungry. And I was 
not at my best. Nobody knew. I'm great. I'm great at just putting on a good smile. Nobody knew. But I had a delivery from the leader of the women's ministry, and she made me these, I don't even know what they are, sweet bread, donut, donut type things. And they'd been delivered to one of the other houses, and one of the women on the trip brought them over with some Nutella, and we sat and ate these sweet donuts. But look, there's no sugar in Ghana, okay? We didn't have puddings. It was so hard. I mean, I did take quite a few things in my suitcase, which was overweight. Um, but we won't talk about that. That was my hairdryer that never got used, probably. <laughs> I'm so naive. <laughs> I didn't have a mirror either. <laughs> As you'll see, there's probably going to be no photos of me in Ghana. <laughs> but I was so blessed because I, I, I just needed Jesus to show up, and that was a moment for me. But, you know, they blessed me with that off the back of my sacrifice. But contrast that with Mary, who'd just given Jesus everything that she owned. Mary, when she'd done what she did, didn't get any thanks at all. She got the absolute opposite. She was criticized and ridiculed. And it wasn't by people that she didn't know. It was by her fellow brothers and sisters. It was by Christians, the disciples and Judas. But then in steps Jesus. And takes away all that condemnation. And he tells the disciples to leave her alone. He says, she's done a great thing for me. He says that we'll have the poor at any time, but you won't always have me. And he told them that on several occasions, he was going to Jerusalem and he was going to be put to death. And now he claims that Mary's act of devotion will serve as the anointing for his death. And we don't know if Mary knew that. We don't know if she knew what her actions were actually doing. But Jesus knew. He knew that he was going to be put to death as a criminal and he was going to miss out on that anointing that he should have had, the proper anointing for burial. And he goes on to say, wherever the gospel is preached, Mary's act of devotion will be discussed and remembered. And today, we get to be a fulfillment of that prophecy as we remember it. Mary lived a poured out life and Jesus expects the same of us. And as I was reading this, I just felt the Holy Spirit just kept dropping different things into me about this story. And I just want to share them with, with you right now. And there's quite a few. I, want, I should have just done one and just expounded on it. But there's so many. So you're ready for some challenges. Well, you're going to get them. Firstly, Mary was grateful. A verse that is never far from my thoughts is found in Psalm 116.12. And it says this, how can I repay the Lord for all his goodness to me. And what Mary did was her way of thanking Jesus for everything that he'd done for her and her family. You know, she'd been delivered of demons. She was known to be a sinful woman, which many would say, well, then potentially she was a prostitute. She'd seen her brother die, and then she'd seen Jesus raise him from the dead. And this same Jesus, in a culture where women didn't really have much to do with men and men weren't meant to respect women or, or give them any opportunities, she'd sat at Jesus' feet, she'd listened to him, and he'd loved her and he'd inputted into her. She had everything to be grateful for. And so do we. And gratitude glorifies God. Can you imagine how grateful she must have been in that room full of men accusing her when Jesus just steps in and defends her? She could have listened to the lies of the enemy in that time and she could have taken on board the sharp words of Judas. But gratitude 
defies Satan. Because Satan's always going to whisper horrible things in our heads, in our ears, in our minds. Oh, you're not good enough. You're not worthy. God doesn't love you. But when we're grateful, we're too busy bigging God up to hear the lies of the enemy in our ears. So I challenge you to find something to be grateful for every day. I'm so glad what you did what you did this morning, Al. Just at the end of the year, just thanking God for something that he's done in your life this year. But do it every day. Secondly, the alabaster box of ointment contained something that was very precious. But as long as it stayed in the container, it didn't benefit anyone. It wasn't until the box was broken that the fragrance was able to be poured out. And this poured out life actually comes from a place of brokenness. If Jesus' body hadn't been broken for us, we wouldn't be here today. I wouldn't be here today if he hadn't come hunting me down in all my sin and sickness and set me free. But he does something beautiful when he comes for us. He transforms our life. The Japanese have an art called kintsugi, or golden repair, where they take broken pieces of pottery and then they put them back together using gold thread. And when they've done it, the bowl or whatever piece they're looking at, it's actually more precious and more expensive and worth more than it was before it was broken. I love that. And that's what God does with us. He takes broken pieces of our lives and he makes us into masterpieces of golden glory. So we have to allow ourselves sometimes to be broken by Jesus so that he can come in and put us back together. And then he makes us an even better version of ourselves than we were before. Lynn, you spoke so brilliantly a couple of weeks ago on Grow. We weren't back. We had one final Sunday to go somewhere else and visit another church. And we were just like, oh, I don't want to visit another church. I want to go to my own church. So we decided to stay home and we popped online and we watched, as we actually have done for most of our sabbatical, because this is the best church anyway, so why wouldn't you? But you spoke so brilliantly, and you said this, that healed brokenness makes us stronger. It's true. It's true. So whatever you're going through or whatever you've just been through, please know that God is doing something in you, and he's making you a better version than you were before. That's a great thing, isn't it? God works all things together for those who love him. In the world, broken things get thrown out. They're despised. They're worthless. They're discarded. Damaged goods are rejected, and that includes people. But the word tells us that the Lord is close to the brokenhearted. You know, in the last decade, we've been introduced to something which is absolutely disgusting, and it's called cancel culture. Anybody heard of it? Pop your hand up for me if you've heard of cancel culture. It's hideous. It's about ostracism. It's about throwing people out of social circles, predominantly social media. Many famous people have just been told, you're cancelled. Don't want anything to do with you. Don't comment on this site anymore. You're not welcome. Guys, don't be part of cancel culture. We're not called to cancel. We're called to include. We're called to love. We're called to heal and help. And the disciples tried to cancel Mary. You see, there's nothing new under the sun. Ecclesiastes tells us that. This cancel culture, it might have a title now, but it's always been here. And I'll come on to, I'll come on to them in a minute. But when she poured out her perfume on Jesus, the fragrance filled the house. And Jesus said this, you have done a beautiful thing. You have done a good work. So thirdly, the poured out life is about good works. It's about doing nice things. It's about doing the right thing, even when it's hard. 
And it is hard sometimes to do nice things, especially when God asks you to do them to not nice people. It's about that thing that you want to keep, but you know that the Holy Spirit is prompting you to give away. It's hard. We've been talking about sacrifice this morning. It's about putting others first, no matter what the cost is to ourselves. It's about living a life of generosity, serving the King, fully surrendering our life over and being obedient to whatever God asks of us. And it's fourthly for every single one of us. We should all be living this life. God's given every one of us gifts for anyone who's been through the growth track. And most of you are members in this room. You'll know that everyone has got something that God's put in them that needs to come out so that other people can be blessed. But if you keep gifts to yourself, no one benefits. And you won't be blessed either. So figure out what your gift is and then use it for the glory of God and for the benefit of other people. I also learned this from Mary, that to lead a poured out life, you first have to be full. She didn't dis- just decide randomly one day, oh, you know what, I'm going I'm to bust open that lovely box of perfume that I'm saving. It wasn't a random thing. She loved Jesus. She loved spending time with him. Like I said, she sat at his feet, she'd listen to him, and he'd listen to her. He wasn't just a teacher, he was a friend. And he'd, he'd saved her brother, he'd raised her from the dead. What a miracle that must have been to see. So this act of breaking a perfume over him, it was anything but impulsive. It was, it was a planned moment. She probably resolved it in her heart for a long time. Jesus had just given so much to her, she just needed to pay him back. She wanted him to know what he meant to her that she loved him, that she trusted him, that she believed in him. And out of that fullness, she gave God her absolute best, her most precious, expensive, and valued possession. And we can't keep giving out of a place of emptiness. We need to fill ourselves up. We need to be fat on the word of God. That's what I found over the last 12 weeks. I've got so much inside him that I just need to, I need to get it out. I need to be up here and just sharing what the Holy Spirit is putting within me. But you only get fat if you feed yourself. You've got to be in the word of God. Spend time with him. And it's clear what happens when we do. The Bible says in Luke 6, 38, give and it will come back to you. A good measure pressed down and shaken together will be poured into your lap for with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. And I don't think this verse is just about finance. I think it's about giving of our lives. It's about giving of our gifts, of our talents, of our time. I'm reminded of the widow in 2 Kings 4. She had nothing of worth at all in her house, apart from a little bit of oil. And Elijah comes along and says, can you make me a meal? I'm really hungry. And she says, well, the next meal that I make is the last meal I'm ever going to make. And then me and my son, we're just going to die. And he said, yeah, well, just make me one. Just do this for me. Wow, that's hard, isn't it? He says, you take that little bit of oil and you go around every single neighbor and you find as many pots as you can and you start filling it, fill every jar with that tiny bit of oil. And as she started pouring, the oil never ran out until all the jars were gone. It's a bit like the magic porridge pot. Anybody remember that? You can think you've got nothing left, but when you pour it out for Jesus, he will pour back so much more that you won't have room enough to contain it. You can't understand it. You can preach it, but you've got to live it out. You've got to go and try it for yourself and test him. 
And interestingly, I've, I've written here, but what I was about to say next, I'd grapple with saying because I didn't want to get told off by the pastor, but I was actually going to say that during our sabbatical, we had made a decision to increase our giving. And we made it knowing there would be no cost of living increase with a dependent child at university with mounting bills as we all have going into a recession. I mean, what a crazy time to increase your giving, but actually, you'd be an idiot not to. Sorry, probably shouldn't have used the word idiot. And I no, I really shouldn't, sorry, I shouldn't have used the word idiot. We just, we just know that God never, ever lets you down when you give to him. And this church needs our finances. There are things that we wanna do. There are places that we need to send people there are events that we want to put on and we can't do it without finance. Thanks, Sai. I actually worked out that the extra that we give is the equivalent of a family takeaway that we won't get and not putting on the hot tub each month. <laughs> and and 16 cups of Starbucks coffee not going in my tummy. <laughs> it's a sacrifice living for Jesus. And in the natural, I'm human. Come on, we're all, we're all together. We're family. I love Starbucks coffee. I want to drink one every day. But it's not going to happen just yet. And I'm all right with that. Because I'm more excited about not doing that than to see what God is going to do. Remember, good measure, pressed down, shaken together, will be poured into your lap. And sixthly, I learned that Mary couldn't do much, but she did what she could. And that's all that Jesus asks of us. You see, Mary, she couldn't keep the Jewish leaders from falsely accusing Jesus. She couldn't keep the soldiers from crucifying him. And she couldn't keep the crowds from mocking him. But she did have a bottle of perfume. And you might be sitting here this morning thinking... I can't teach, I can't sing, I can't do this, I can't do that, I don't have this, I don't have that. But too often we focus on the things that we haven't got or we can't do. So can I encourage us to maybe change our focus, to think about the things that we do have and the things that we can do. And so here's Mary, she's done all she can, and yet the disciples grumble and complain and criticize her in front of everyone in the house. Remember the cancel culture that I mentioned earlier. But if we're to live a poured out life, never discount or devalue what someone else is doing for Jesus. And the sad thing is, I see Christians do this all the time. We get annoyed when the preacher uses a different version of the Bible to us or, heaven forbid, uses a paraphrase. Or we come to church and they don't sing the song that we like. Come on, we've all done it. We've had the privilege of being able to visit a few churches. Not many, but a few. And I want to say to you that God is on the move in the UK and in Nottingham, and it's so exciting. But when we get back in the car, oh, oh, what did you think? What did you think? What do you think of that? What do you think of the welcome? What do you think of the word? Just had a little critique of all the churches on the way home. And all I want to say on that is, if we weren't the pastors of this church, we'd come to this church. I'm not criticizing anyone. We're just in the right place at the right time, and that's good. 
Eighthly, when Mary poured out that perfume, it was an act of surrender. She humbled herself. Now, in Jesus' day, people didn't sit around the table. It's the same in Ghana. They don't sit around tables. They're all on the floor, kind of just lounging about with the feet kind of going backwards and their head at the table, just reclining. And so if you walked into a room, you would obviously be above people because they would be lying down. So Mary had to walk in and she had to humble herself and get lower than they were, right to the floor so that she could anoint Jesus' feet with her perfume. She was showing others what she thought of him and who she believed in. Because you see, there are four classes of people who were anointed in those days. There were kings, there were priests, there were prophets, and they were the dead. And Jesus is all four of them. He is the king of kings, amen? He is a priest, he is a prophet, and he may have been dead, but he is alive forevermore. Thank you, Jesus. But what about you? Are you surrendered to the same level that Mary was? Does the life that you live show you kneeling at his feet, acknowledging him as the true Lord and Savior of your life? Because we can go about this Christian life and just do some nice things, but is Jesus Lord? Are you putting him first? Are you humbled? Are you submitted, submitted to his Lordship in your life? And finally, the poured out life releases his fragrance. I said that the highlight of my time in Ghana was preaching in that little village in Wuba and those men getting saved under the stars. But actually, anointing the women with my expensive bottle of perfume was right up there in my special moments. And I love perfume. I never leave the house without wearing perfume. And when I do, I feel naked. It's weird, isn't it? It's just a habit, something you get used to. And someone once prophesied over me that I would leave the fragrance of Jesus everywhere I went. And I don't just want to do that physically. I want, obviously, I want to do that spiritually. That's what they meant. But I like to smell good. And this is my favorite perfume. I'm not going to say what it is because I don't want anyone to buy me one. I know what you guys are like. You're so generous and you're like, oh, Kate's in a good thing. Let's, let's bless her. I don't want to do that. But what I do want to do is just do what Mary did and put some perfume and literally wipe a foot with my hair. We bless you in the name of Jesus. 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 Jesus, we want your fragrance in this place. We want you to invade this place. Sorry, men. You're going to get a bit of female perfume. Here you go, Si. Dab that on. Fragrance of Jesus, fill this place, Lord God. We sacrifice our favorite things because we love you. And you always do us good. And you always give more back than we give out. It was a very powerful moment, just as that was. The tangible presence of God came into the room. single one of you can have a fragrance defining moment in your life if you'll just pour out your life for Jesus it's a foreign concept these days to give things away to give perfume away it's a foreign concept to sacrifice anything it's a foreign concept in this generation and this culture to live for somebody else other than yourself it's a foreign concept 
to give Jesus your all. It's a foreign concept to fully surrender your own will to do the will of the Father. It's a foreign concept to willingly pour out your lives for the sake of others, but it is what we are called to, family. This is what it means to follow Jesus. This is the poured out life. This is the cost. So I ask you, what is Jesus worth to you? To Mary, he was worth everything. Her bottle of perfume. To Judas, he was worth silver coins, 30 silver coins. Is he worth a penny in the offering plate every other week? Or maybe after today, is it worth deciding, you know what? I can't afford to live on this planet, but I know someone who can help me live on this planet. And if I give to him, I'm going to receive what, everything that I need. I'm going to start tithing. At Christmas time, the most expensive time of the year for most of us, when we're out buying presents, actually, Lord, I'm just going to sacrifice that one present because I know I need to give to you. Is he worth turning up early to church for and having fellowship with people before the start of the service? Is he worth missing a Netflix series for or a football match? I missed Forest beat Liverpool when I was in Ghana. And five minutes before the end of the game that I was following on my phone in the limited internet that I did get, pastor FaceTime me, sat next to our son Caleb at the city ground and he was allowing me to watch the final five minutes of the match and I have never felt more homesick in my entire life. But if I hadn't have sacrificed a football match, seven men would never have got saved and that village What is he worth to you? Live a poured out life, guys. Hold nothing back. Because you know, if you hold on to nothing, I can promise you this. God will give you everything if you'll hold on to nothing. Don't keep your love and your gifts boxed up. So this is my final challenge. Ask yourself this. What does my poured out life look like this is just you and God now what have I got in my box what can I pour my life into what can I do to permeate a house or a home or a church or a charity or an individual or a business what am I going to pour out for Jesus and when you find the answer to that question please do it please do it because maybe just maybe a few generations later, somebody will be talking about what you did, bless you. Just like they talked about what Mary did. Wouldn't that be amazing? Jesus, help us. Help us to let go of the things that hold us back from living a fully poured out life that you want for us. Jesus, let us lead this life of devotion, this life where we get to make a difference and where others can actually start to imitate what we're doing. Make us bold and brave. As we make decisions even today to maybe change what we're doing or maybe to increase in some area or to start something for the first time, 
But Lord, we're saying today, we want to start again. And we want to pour our life out to you and give you our all. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that as we sing this last song, that you will lead people, that they will know what it is that you are challenging them to do, convicting them to do, not condemning them to do. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Lord, we love you. We worship you. And we're ready to go into January and pour our lives out for you. And all God's people said, Amen.